HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43, the Good Beer Seal. This is Tuesday, January 23rd, 2018. Got some great guests in the room, and this, this is a special show for me because uh, I was inspired in the, in the fall. I was going out to some of the, the local beer bars, and I started wondering why. You know, in some beer bars, the, the draft beers tasted good, and some they, they tasted okay, and, uh, you know... I'm aware now that in New York City, you can go directly to so many over 30 breweries and, and get their beer poured the way that they want to. And I was with uh, Zach Mack over at ABC Beer. Hey, Zach. How's it going, Jimmy? And I said, Zach, you, you, your beer just tastes really good. And this kind of started the conversation. You know, um, we've also got, let's go around the room and introduce everybody. We've got Zach Mack, ABC Beer. Sure. I'm Rich Higgins, uh, Master Cicerone from San Francisco, California. Ooh, all right. <laughs> Mike Amade from Torst in Brooklyn, New York. Brad Kessler, Clinton Hall, Fideye. Yeah, so we're going to have a conversation. Thanks to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributors, supply of world-class ales and lagers. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. All right, so, um, you know, Zach, I asked you, I said, why does your beer taste so good? I, f- I feel like in the last 10, 12 years, it's one thing that's really changed. And we've had shows about, you know, cleaning your lines, and, and there's basics, and there's definitely places that need to do that. But I, I do feel that there's a subtlety with so many different beers and so many great beers. If I'm going into bar and saying, you know what, I'm not sure how it tastes on draft, but I just want to get a, a, a can of, of a good craft brewery because I don't want I don't want to waste you know my dollars. Um, you know what it is about your draft system, the importance of that. That's going to be the theme of our show. So you guys take it away. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to hear someone like you say that you got the idea to talk about good draft lines from my bar. I'm very humbled by that. <laughs> Um, because we're pretty like now modern speaking wise, we're for a craft beer bar. We have a simple system, but it works so efficiently and so perfectly. Um, and it's not just about cleaning. That's super important. That's maintenance, like taking care of your car. But I mean, we all know if you if you are trying to 
hit your margins and like and keep your beer stored at the right temperature, pouring it without so much foam that you're wasting and and making sure that that uh, customers are getting served beer in the right context. It's you know you can't skimp on your beer system, and they're relatively affordable if you if you go with the right uh, distributor or, or sorry with the right uh, installer and the right mechanics. You guys can you can totally get a system that is that kind of takes care of itself from uh, on the from the beginning it's but it's better to start with something when on a good investment and then to kind of patchwork things in the end and what do a lot of people do i mean do, do, do many bar owners and consumers just not know you know what you need to do to, to serve good beer yeah i think it's one of those things uh where w- 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 as craft beer has kind of gotten to where it is there's been more awareness uh certainly on the part of the Consumer and I'm part of the people that are creating bars that that this is an, a, a key part of it. And if you're taking beer very seriously, uh, a large part of that is taking your draft line very seriously, your draft uh, draft setup in general. So, um, and then understanding the draft system as well is is, is another part of it. Uh, and then keeping the maintenance because there's there's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of maintenance that needs to happen and and um, yeah, just just staying on top of it to make sure it's operating the best that it can and uh and adjusting if it needs adjusting yeah and, and rich as a mass assistant but you you have insight you started as a, a working in a brew pub yeah so i feel That's like right. you really know brewing systems uh yeah yeah i was fortunate enough to uh put in a lot of time uh over a little i guess a decade and a half in uh, san francisco uh both as a brewer also as a consultant to restaurants and bars uh, mostly new openings for restaurants and bars so uh, folks would approach me and say, "Hey, you know, we want to we want to have a kick-ass beer program that is going to work well for what we want and uh, kind of fit into the San Francisco scene." Uh, but also, you know, I'd, I'd say, "Look, we got to get a good draft system in here if you're going to pour draft." And they say, "Oh, you know, uh, you know, we're just going to work with the distributors. They're going to just help us out with a you know some used parts and just do something on on the cheap." And I would say, "All right, well, you know, that's fine, but you may get in bed with those distributors, and you know, I can help you find the best beers within their within their portfolios. But it's nice to be independent too." Uh, so if you pay, you know, up front to install a, a proper draft system, not only is it going to help you stay independent and be able to run whatever beers you want, you know, but you're going to be able to make that money back pretty quickly uh, with some of the stuff Zach was talking about by having, you know, less foam coming out, you know, higher quality pours. Uh, a big part of that is making sure your staff is happy to be pouring beers there. You know, they feel kind of embarrassed if they're sitting there pouring foamy beer after foamy beer. And, uh, you know, you're sitting there breathing down their neck trying to say, don't pour as much foam. And then they are like, well, I can't do anything about this. So you got to really treat that draft system right. And then, you know, everyone can win. And Brad, uh, from Clinton Hall, tell us what you guys are doing. What system do you have? You uh, know, we're running a uh, flex capacitor. Uh, Gabe Gordon out of California runs Beachwood Brewing, which phenomenal beer. You should definitely check them out. But he was basically frustrated with the tap system that he had been using because they were basically designed by the big guys 30, 40 years ago to pour Budweiser. You can tap 100 barrels of Budweiser, they're all going to come out exactly the same. But a lot of these smaller breweries, you have hiccups. There's going to be problems once in a while. You've got to be able to fix it on the fly. And then, Mike, at Taurus, you guys, when you first opened a few years ago... Your claim to fame, one of them was that you had the flux capacitor. That's right, yeah. We, I it's think visual, we, it's got lights. That's right. It's the first one I ever saw. It's functional, but it also looks pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I it's, think, a mood, it's a mood ring, too. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot of, like an old friend. It's always there for you. Um, I think we had the second one, uh, and the, when we opened, there was a lot of press around it. Um, and uh, and that kind of, I think, helped, helped a little bit get the word out. And subsequently, there's, there's there, Gabe's made a, a few more of them. Um, 
Yeah, and it, it's, uh, it, I mean, more than anything else, though, it's it's a convenience factor uh, to uh, to help troubleshoot issues more than anything. Because if it's set up properly and all of the kegs are carbonated properly, you really shouldn't have to mess with it too much. Uh, I think this is probably the same with a lot of draft systems. Like if if, if, if your system's set up just right and the beers are, are all calibrated properly, they should pour fine. Uh, where you come into problems is when something's either over or under carbonated, uh, and that's when the flux capacitor offers a lot of uh, a lot of convenience for troubleshooting. Um, for example, if you're if you're uh, trying to troubleshoot a carbonation issue and your regulators are all downstairs, uh, and your all your bar is up a couple flights of stairs, there's a lot of running up and down that you have to do. Whereas ours right behind the Right behind the bar, where we can make adjustments, and then uh, over time, see if those adjustments are uh, are uh, are paying off. Uh, yeah, that's totally right. And I want to add too that um, you know it, it's fun to feature small craft breweries that uh, you know uh, they've got pretty limited production, and so that can kind of part, part of the territory is that their beers aren't always carbonated the same uh, keg to keg. But there are also a lot of beer styles that just are meant to be you know either more high or higher carbonation than most you know kind of standard Budweiser or less carbonation like. Uh, the beer we're drinking right now is a delicious uh, wheat grisette, uh, you know, from uh, from uh, Hill, Hill Farmstead. So Clara, it's a delicious beer, and this is a naturally more highly carbonated beer. And if this were available on draft, this would be the sort of beer that you just know isn't going to work out of a standard kind of old school draft system. Um, so yeah, you got to build in more. You know, either have a flux capacitor or have some lines that are dedicated to higher. That brings higher up a question: beers. Should all beer be on draft? I mean, like the great the, Sch- the Schneider beers, the wheat beers. For a long time, people thought you could only serve them in bottles. I mean, Master Cicerone probably could answer that question better than I could. <laughs> but I, I honestly, like, that's a good question. I, I feel like it's a different expression. Um, I've, every time, if you have the right draft system pouring it, I think there's no question that you should give it a shot. And some things, obviously, bottle condition stuff isn't ever going to be poured the same way uh, or will ever be available the same way as, uh, as like, a straightforward draft beer. But, yeah, I, I think... We've come to a point where people appreciate a well-poured draft beer. We're not just dealing with kegs of Budweiser anymore. We're dealing with a lot of the tens of thousands of options of, of keg beer that weren't available even a decade ago. And it's kind of exciting to see people taking programs seriously enough, draft programs seriously enough, and systems seriously enough to like show the beer the respect it's deserved. Like so, outside of just cleaning it. So Brad, talk us through. So you, you're you're working. It's a busy night. You're putting some new kegs on. You got the flux capacitor. What are modifications you might have to do after you've tapped those beers? Well, if you put something new on and it's not pouring well, you know immediately something's wrong. If you get nothing but foam or there's no no carbonation to it at all, you can adjust it on the fly, let it sit for a little while, let the problem fix itself. A lot of it, I, for me, it's one of the first things I do is I train my staff because there's something there's nothing like watching the the blood in the face of your staff rush out of their face when something goes wrong on a Friday night and you're like, no, this is something you can fix. Like I promise, you get downstairs, like check the sankeys, the drop all is that it's stuck? Is the gas off? Is like what's wrong? Like is the is the hose kinked? And there's like usually a few quick things you can do, but in in the system like that, most people, you know, my I, tra- I train my staff like your natural reaction is gonna be to turn the pressure down, but you know try turning it up and that and, and you know that's usually gonna be what keeps the beer from pouring out too foamy and they're like that's stupid i don't understand it but uh basically like teaching staff off the bat is one of the best the instruction early on is 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 huge and and it gets people kind of into the idea that this system is a is an easy to use machine once you know like a couple of things 
How did you learn how to, to, to really adjust things and manage your draft system? Uh, I learned it on the fly when I opened up. Um, Anton uh, from Draft Choice installed my system, and he explained a few quick things to me. Um, he said he wishes he could be here. He's in Philly right now. but um, he, uh, Is he, he installing me, another draft system? He is installing somewhere. another. He's, he's got a solid grip on the East Coast. We were just joking about it. Um, but I also took the draft, um, the draft class out in, in L.A., I'm sorry, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. I just wanted to spend February in Los Angeles. So I went out to Micromatic in L.A. and uh, spent a week out there learning how to build a system from scratch, tweak it, um, make all the adjustments and calculations. And I honestly thought I was going to walk in and, and get blown away with numbers and calculations. And I left feeling like I learned a ton. So it helped me a lot. Is that a typical system, the Micromatic? And do many people take that class? It's recommended you know? by the Cicerone for... Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great way to get education about uh, about draft systems because you can break that system without breaking a bar's system. You know, so yeah. a bar's going to lose a lot of money if you intentionally mess with it and try to fix it trial by fire. You know, so they have a system that runs a bunch of beer that you know they're not serving to anyone, so they're happy to. You know, it's just part of the cost. Basically, it's just they're happy to to break it and then have you troubleshoot and figure out how to fix it. How many different classes did you take to become a master sister? <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't take a lot of classes. I basically just kind of learned on the job. Um, it sort of felt the program fell into my lap as far as uh, everything you need to know for the exams is stuff that I already cared a ton about. So, you know, the best ways to study are to to brew beer, you know, whether you're home brewing or professionally brewing. So I was a professional brewer. So I learned on the job. Uh, I traveled like crazy to, to Europe, you know, go to the old world and just drink as many beers as I could and meet as many chefs and brewers as I could out there. Uh, I'm an avid home cook, so I learned how to, you know, pair beer and food by hosting a bunch of dinner parties in my house, basically. So, yeah, I learned a lot of the stuff uh, just on the job through my regular passions. And we first met, you you were doing a, a, a Sabre event with Sam Merritt at uh, That's right, yeah. My Sam, place. yeah. Sam's a fantastic guy. And Jimmy, yeah, thanks a ton for hosting us for that. Yeah, about five years ago, Saver was in uh, New York, and uh, Sam and I ran a, a pre-Saver boot camp for folks to come by and learn uh, learn about important beer styles. We had a we had a Belgian brewer join us uh, um, from uh, Dillowain's uh, in, in Flanders, uh, Brewers of the Vicaris beers. So, yeah, we had a, we had a cool lineup and, uh, and a fun show. Um, but yeah, so I'm, you got a trip coming up. That's right. Yeah. I'm stoked. Uh, speaking of travel, I'm heading back to Belgium and Germany a couple times a year. I'm running, uh, these things called, I call Rich Higgins beer immersions. Uh, it's kind of a dorky name, but, uh, the idea is you, uh, they're, they're deep dives into, uh, cities, uh, important beer cities in Europe, two days per city. Uh, we do, uh, Brussels, Antwerp, uh, Cologne, Dusseldorf, uh, Munich, Bamberg and Regensburg in uh, in Bavaria and um, just fantastic places totally different beer and food traditions from each other and it's fun to you know kind of have boots on the ground and figure you know, out if you oh. get to be with Rich Higgins you're pretty special because today I was with some beer reps and we were asking you know how many you know master Cicerones are there I know people that, that haven't that failed the test a couple of times and people started saying oh about 50 and I said no no way <laughs> and how many are there uh, there are 16 now so yeah not, not too many but we're growing and uh, and yeah there'll definitely be more but some years nobody gets it uh, yeah, there were a couple years uh, in uh, yeah a couple years ago where where there were several candidates that took the test, but no one passed, unfortunately. How often do you offer the master? Is it a couple times a year? Uh, right now, it's offered once a year. Um, and I yeah, I, it's the Cicerone program that that does all that. I'm actually kind of independent from them, but I do teach classes that that you know I, I train people for exam prep and stuff like that. So I'm sort of involved. 
feel like you made it sound pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically, I'm going to go book some flights to Europe. And, right. uh, and, yeah. <laughs> a few dinner parties at home. And, yeah. It's, all, it's all the attitude. How long did you study? About 12 years, right? Yeah. Something I, mean, I like studied that. day in and day out for 12 years, but the first 10 years, I didn't know I was studying for anything. I was just a complete beer dork and, and worked in beer. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow, there's this cool program that came out in 2008. And so I was one of the early yeah. Zach, certified. you said you you might do the advanced Cicerone I'm class. Booked, I'm booked for Miami in April. So nice, we man. Got, yeah, good luck. We got some, some guys <laughs> trying to polish their chops. Mike, are you, are you in any of those uh, programs or certificates? I'm not, no. I've, uh, I've often thought about uh, getting it, but uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't had the time uh, yet, but it's it's definitely a goal. It's daunting, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it really yeah, is. it's very daunting in, in terms of both time and money and just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like to say if the learning isn't fun, you're kind of going about it the wrong way. Basically, right. like if, if it's a drudgery to learn all this stuff, then it may not be the right thing. But all of a sudden, right. if it's like, wow, I actually care about draft systems, which most people don't know they, they do before they get into beer, then that's sort of a sign that, that that's you're why in the right we're place. talking because otherwise, beer doesn't taste good, man. That's right. <laughs> right? And then, Brad, how did you get in the business? Kind of fell into it. Um, I, I love beer. So I'd, I'd done my time working in nightclubs and tourist traps, and then Opportunity at Clinton Hall came along and dove in. Great, man. And you got a flux capacitor, too. Yeah. I mean, it sounds kind of dorky. We'll talk, we're going to talk more about We're going to demystify this thing because Zach already started to with his micromatic talk. But we're going to get geeky. We're going to talk about draft beer systems. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife & Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network.org. You know, we are in a room of, I don't like the word beer geek, but beer experts, and I am I am honored to be here. And, you know, one of the owners of Roberta is Brandon Hoy, who likes to hang out and, and, and talk to us before the show, ask questions about beers and everything. He, for the first time ever, he got all his questions answered. He was asking about a Kentucky Common style of beer, and I think Mike, <laughs> Mike said that a local option out of Chicago makes something like that. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a style of beer you, you hear about very often, so I, I'm not even sure what, what spurred him on. Yeah, he just loves beer, man, and he knows <laughs> he loves Beer Sessions Radio. But you guys, thanks for coming on. Let's go around. So everybody right now, a beer that's on draft that you really represents like your taste in beer um, that you might not find somewhere else. 
and then we'll talk about how you, what you have to do on your system so it pours good. Zach, I just uh, I just poured something from Finback Aeronaut, like co- a collaboration beer that they just dropped us. Um, oh god, I can't remember the name now. Um, it, it just came to us, and we I think we poured through it in less than twelve hours. It was so good, uh, cloudy, like beautiful uh, New England IPA. Obviously, that's something that's really popular right now. But this one stuck out to me in a sea of of, of those like options. Aeronaut from Somerville, Mass. from Somerville. Exactly. So did did Finback go grounds. there to make it, or did Aeronaut come to? I Queens? think Aeronaut came here because of a Finback keg. But I may be wrong. Correct me, Basil and Kevin, if I'm wrong. Um, but the uh, it was it really stood out to me. Like it's one of those things that like everyone's doing right now. But it, it jumped out and was so refreshing. I was watching the Patriots win, which I know is not a very popular opinion right now, but maybe that made it a little better. But um, it, it was like the, the everything about like the, the, the freshness was super on point and, and the flavors were tight, but lush and it was, it was delicious. And how did it run on your system? Did you have to make any adjustments? I was lucky, actually. The system, I, my staff knows when something comes on and if it pours e- like even like a quarter inch more head than it should off the bat, then if the second glass is still like iffy, they go downstairs and they, they fiddle with the, the pressure, they check the pressure, the, the make sure the temperature of the walk-ins were working right. Um, but luckily we were, you know, this one was a good one. That's on awesome week. training, Zach. That's <laughs> really, really impressive. That's cool. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> Zach's a great bar owner, man. Yeah. I'm always impressed. I can tell. And Mike, uh, something at Tourist? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, we have two on right now that uh, stand out. Uh, one is um, a Czech Pilsner from Kaut. Uh, um, yeah, Kaut. Yeah, Kaut. Yeah. Those, uh, that beer is amazing. It, uh, we were talking the other day that it, it literally it just smells like summertime. Uh, it just mm. like smells like pure honey and just like beautiful balance and crisp and clean. It's like the perfect, uh, perfect Pilsner. Um, and then the second one would be the, uh, the, uh, Ich Benign Berliner from, uh, uh, Alvin, uh, which is a cool sort of barrel aged Berliner Weisse, which isn't traditional for a Berliner Weisse. So it, <laughs> it kind of, uh, it kind of jumps between two worlds. It's like, it's light and bright and just like freshly acidic on one hand, like a Berliner. Uh, but it has a really beautiful barrel age character, uh, with raspberries as well. So it's aged for a full year, eight months, uh, just in pure oak and then four months additionally with raspberries and just fresh macerated raspberries on the nose and then that beautiful acidity and really great balance it's a it's a beautiful beer those alvin guys are really good at the the barrel aged i I, they blow my socks off pretty much every time i pour them everything they do is phenomenal yeah Yeah. every time yeah it's it's remarkable yeah and what what about the the pour the pours, uh, actually, the Kaut one uh, was uh, started a little bit overcarbonated, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh, so we, we did have to adjust that one a bit. And, and so what, uh, what did you do? Uh, that one involved uh, turning the pressure up. As we were talking about that earlier, and it's it, it seems like that wouldn't be the case. So like if you're just thinking it, that it's pouring foamy, like your gut reaction would be there's clearly too much carbonation in there, so I need to turn it down. But most of the time, like just most of the times, I think that that that, that comes up is you actually do need to turn the carbonation up a bit um, to adjust for those 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 levels. Uh, Rich, why why cake. is that? Uh, well, it's basically a timing issue. You know, you got a lot of CO two that's in solution in the in the beer in the keg, so it's actually you know it's stuck in the in the beer, and then it, it's going to come out at some point. And the brewer wants it to come out, you know, in inside you basically. You know, when you drink it in, in your mouth and in your stomach. Uh, but it can come out easily in the line, and that's called gas breakout in a in a draft system, and that happens usually if there's too much agitation or uh, if the line gets too warm. So if the beer is 
uh, you know, carbonated to the perfect amount, but it's running through a, a line that's too warm, the CO2 is going to jump out too early. It'll jump out of the line. So when you're pouring, you know, the symptom of that is you're getting foam coming out at the tap and you think that you're at the faucet and you think that the problem is that, you know, it's, it's uh, too foamy. So you turn the pressure down, but if you turn the pressure up, you're actually adding more, more applied pressure that's going to keep the CO2 in the beer inside the, the draft line. The downside is that if it stays high pressure too long or, you know, adding too much applied CO2, then it, you run the risk of overcarbonating the beer inside the keg a little bit. So it can sort of be a, uh, you know, something about diminishing returns, but, uh, but it's a great sort of Band-Aid in, in the beginning. So it also depends how quickly you're moving through the beers. And Brad, what, what about uh, a beer at Clinton Hall this week? Um, I just had the pleasure of putting on Perennial Abraxas, which is amazing every year. And it's one of those ones where it poured fine at normal CO2 levels, but just tweak it down a little bit, and it just drinks like silk. So then with, with the flux capacitor, you don't have to go down in the basement. You, so we just go... Well, at my place, I don't have to go around the block and down two stories. <laughs> so but what do you do? Right you just, there, you right go and press buttons. Is each... Does, does each tap line have its own kind of controls there? Correct. On the bar? Yep. Just knobs you can twist up or down the pressure. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, so with the flux, you have uh, every I'm line. I'm stuff, guys. Thank you. Behind, on the panel for every line, you have the ability to adjust the pressure right there. You can turn the gas on and off. And then you also have five, at least in our case, and I, I'm not sure if it stands out with all of them, but you have five different gas blends to choose from. Same here. Um, that you can basically plug out of and plug into on the fly. So you can you can change at the flux. You can change a gas blend. You can change a pressure, or you can just turn the gas off uh, for an individual line. So you can go nitro. Like I mean, you mean talking about gas blends, like you can go like uh, yeah. So, CO2. so like five different. Uh, like if you're looking at the board on the far right, you have an, uh, a plug in for 100% CO2, and then the next one over is basically 70-30, yeah. and then the middle is 60-40, which is generally what we keep things at uh, when all is well. And then if you go to the left of that, the the, the blend of nitrogen goes up quite. Mm. Excuse me, quite a bit higher. Which also works out if you get the rare keg that's completely flat. You jack it up to 100% CO2, just mm -hmm. shake it up for a couple days, which is fine. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Home remedy, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. like a nightmare. I like that. <laughs> so have you had to do that a bunch, Brad? A couple times. Wow, nice. So you've got two Clinton Hall locations, and you're opening up a couple more right now? Is that uh, right? we got three now and two more coming. Nice. That's, that's, wow. that's a lot of beer. Yeah, where are controlling. they? Tell, tell us where they are. Uh, one down in Financial Districts. That's where I'm based out of. Then we got... Uh, South Street Seaport, one up in the Bronx, got one coming up on 51st on the west side, and another one right here in Williamsburg very soon. That's a lot of bars. They all have flux capacity. That's a lot of beer. Yeah. That's a lot of beer. <laughs> like, how much does one of these systems cost? I'm, I'm, I'm more from the old school where, you know, you took over a bar, there's a system. Oh, we just updated the glycol system. We put in new lines. The lines are wrapped. And there's things that don't make sense anymore to me. And to tweak it, someone will say, oh, you have to add a little faucet so that you can control, like, how much beer is coming out or not. No one's ever really talked about this. The poor this regulator? Level. Yeah. The, like the, yeah, that was a, for, we went through a phase back when the, the key keg craze was, was bigger than it is now. Um, we went through a phase of trying to, to figure out how to get those things to pour appropriately because it wasn't temperature problems. It wasn't pressure problems. No matter what we did, we couldn't really get some of these beers to behave 
the way we wanted to. And a lot of the, the response was basically you have to install flow regulators. That's a real only solution. Or you have to like really reconsider your system and work with something more like a flux capacitor, which we obviously couldn't go back. We already just installed the system. And we realized that I just kind of – my system was not as good at dealing with the – keg to keg issues with with the key kegs and i kind of i walked away from using them as much those those uh just for your peace of mind those, those that wouldn't have changed anything with the flex capacitor those key <laughs> kegs are a pain in the ass <laughs> thank god for oh. everybody <laughs> yeah they're, they're terrible oh no brewski out of sweden is one of my favorite breweries but they only ship in keys and i just i stopped buying them it breaks my heart when that happens because i have to tell people whose beer i love i'm like i just can't i can't do it yeah i mean i think the issue there is that it like it, no matter what your your draft system is like, it really kind of takes the system out of the equation because effectively you're just squeezing beer out of a bag. Yeah, um, we've actually found a decent workaround for those if they're overcarbonated, which is usually the case. Uh, if you set up, if you it's not ideal, but it can get you out of a pinch. If you set up a picnic pump uh, on the <laughs> key keg with the gas out, and then uh, just open. The, uh, open the um, the pump and uh, let the excess carbonation flow out a little bit. Sometimes that will my friend, uh, uh, my allow friend, you to pour it. My friend Jess, who was a uh, Spanish importer for a bit, she told, taught me about the penny trick, which was something different. You could put a penny like near the nozzle, which I don't think was a great workaround, but it did work for us in a few cases like in event nights where we needed to get something to pour, and, and it worked. But that was probably like I, it's been years since I've been taking in key kegs for that same reason. Wow! And I'm glad it wasn't the system because for for a while I was like, well, if this is the future, I'm I'm going to be sold short <laughs> on all this stuff. But right. if flux capacitors can't handle it either, I feel a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> and then Brad's not on his head on everything. So Brad, how are you going to do it if if you're up to five, six bars? How do you train everyone? How, how how can you make sure that everyone knows how to work with that system? Email is a god. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm a, I'm a follower. <laughs> you just email and tell people how to work the. F- just system. shoot out an email, describe the beers that are coming on, how to handle them, potential problems, flavor profiles. But you know, and do you, do you know what the pressure on the kegs are coming in? I mean, they're oh, they're nobody they're has keg, any no, but they're not. I, I can't remember the last time a brewer <laughs> like us that gave me the 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 PSI on this stuff. Like, I, I mean, maybe the other places they ask for it, I've never once been given that information. No, if you put something on, you have a problem, Yeah, figure it out. Some it, some distributors are better than others at that. Um, you know, if, if you go to a good distributor, uh, a really good distributor, <laughs> uh, and th- th- they will, they can likely have that number for you. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it can get very nerdy in that they can give you the ideal pressure and then you have a spreadsheet that can uh, spell out exactly where that beer needs to be based on how long your line is, based on the temperature at the tap, uh, and the the diameter of the line as well. So there's even um, an app for that now too. <laughs> yeah, there's it's an app a really for that. good one. What yeah. is it? It's a it's Beer Doctor or I I have to check it out on my phone or whatever. But it's uh, I learned about it in the draft course. Yeah, there's also you know, one from McDantum, I believe. There, that's the one. Okay, that's the cool. one. Yeah. yeah, this is what I want to hear because, like, when before the show, I was look, I just googled, you know, like draft systems, the perfect pour, and all the word is ads for different systems, and then perfect pour meant oh, how to basically a hundred ways to pour your your beer, you know, from a Into bottle <laughs> at forty five degree angle, and that was kind of all I could get at, on the surface. 
Yeah, the the nitty gritty on the uh, on the pressure stuff. Um, I've had better luck actually talking to brewers because brewers oh. tend to have a better um, or more often will know the the CO two saturation in their beer. So they they say, yeah, I you know I carbonate to 0.5 liters of CO two per uh, or sorry 0.5 kilograms of CO two per liter of beer. Uh, and so that once you have that number. That will help you figure out your ideal gauge pressure. So that's the pressure that you need to keep applied on the beer in order to make it so it doesn't uh, absorb CO2, it doesn't lose CO2 either. And then from there, you can add extra nitrogen if you need to, to help push the beer through your length of line, your diameter line. Is that what you, Brad, do you do that? I'm sorry? Do you do that? Well, they're, no. They're flux capacitors. They have that. I think, I think Brad's the, yeah. the beer whisperer over here. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we have, well, yeah. So we have the blender box so for for our system, which isn't a flux capacitor. You have the you have to do nitrogen to get. We don't have a long line, but you do need a little bit of nitrogen so it doesn't overcarbonate the beer. That's one of the things you learn initially is that if it's not like a direct draw, a lot of the time, you even like eight feet of line will require a little bit of blending. Am I, am I wrong? Like the. Yeah, it depends on temperatures, depends on the beers, depends yeah. on the diameter of the line, uh, and whether you're pushing it up or just laterally. Like if you're doing... In New York, it's always up. Yeah. <laughs> San Francisco, too. Yeah. yeah. At my FIDI location, we've got a 400-foot draw. Oh, that's so, my uh, God. There's a lot of variables. Wow. wow. Man, do you, do you, you lose a ton of beer when you clean your lines? Or do you keep them small diameter so you're not... I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's... You're that's, the reason fobs exist. Yeah. <laughs> I, I no, call this, this... To me, this is the secret... The secrets of, of bars. But yeah. on cleaning, I've, I've got about a gallon and a half of beer in the line. Mm-hmm. Staff so, training... Cleaning hurts. Yeah, oh. yeah. Use that beer for staff training, or uh, give it to the kitchen, or something like yeah, that. I always say, cook it, with them. Like, there's so much yeah. beer to cook yeah, with. Yeah. Do you pour any sixels at all? I mean, that's a, yeah. a gallon and a half is basically most of a sixel. <laughs> it's called quality control. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You guys are all dealing with a lot, a lot of challenges. Uh, what, what's this next beer we have, Zach? It's the this is, crowler, right? This is yeah. I, I, we have a crowler machine, which I'm super happy we invested in last year. Um, it's been. Great for us. This is uh, a good beer from uh, my good buddy Chris Kuzme out at Fifth Hammer. Ah, yeah. These guys, yeah, I love these guys. He's been one of my favorite local brewers since uh, since I met him, uh, and, and even before then. But uh, this is the Tahiki uh, Pale Ale, which is a, a Southern Hemisphere hop that he used. It's a straightforward. He told me he was like, "Hey, you know, this is a weird hop, but you think you're gonna like it." And he was like, "He's very honest with his beers, and I like that about him." But I'm super glad that uh, I picked this one up because it's been a huge hit at the bar. It's found great middle ground. I love these Southern Hemisphere hops, and I like especially the the single hop takes um, with them. So let's, thanks, let's Chris. recap the beers before we close out this session. Uh, so we had Fifth Hammer, Taiki something. Taiki Pale Ale. Taiki Pale Ale. Yeah. We had something uh, from Hill yeah. Farmstead. Uh, oh, yeah. The, uh, Hill Farmstead, Clara, yeah. Yeah, ever heard of them? <laughs> we uh, we sneaked one between the between those two. This is uh, Ondex uh, beer. It's their full beer hell. So it's the uh, it's the, basically the the water they drink in in Bavaria. They just drink Hellas. It's a fantastic beer. When you asked earlier what one of the one of the better beers I've poured recently, that that's one of them. I just brought in a keg of that like a week ago and the poured through. Yeah, the Ondex is such a their beers are great. That that one is also awesome. Pros it to those guys. All right. Yeah. Hey, we'll be back for one more Cheers. session in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. 
Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Before the break of day, scoff at a school for quote with John Janay, but you're off to go and play with Papa anyway, anyway. You tried it at your home, you're hiding all along. That homophobe on the phone today, looking like it is spit on my snow cone like a sick kid. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guy, it's 2018, buddy, and uh, we're really proud to be here. Our eighth going on ninth season, and big news, we are on Spotify, so you can listen in. But it's all about nice. our guests. Yeah, wow, we're on Spotify. Yeah, Spotify's great. Yeah, one of the few uh, special podcasts, but um, it's really all about our guests. We try each week to really have you know the best people in the industry, so thank you guys. Um, on that note, Zach, you brought in this, this awesome crowler of Fifth Hammer, um, how, how does filling a crowler off a draft system, you know, work? If, you know, there was issues with growlers. You had to have counter pressure and all this stuff. You know, can you confidently fill a crowler and how long does it last? So much, so much more so than you can a growler. I'm, I'm actually really glad that I, that this technology became more approachable and more, more affordable because like you said, those counter pressure machines, like you had to have a lot of money up front if you wanted to do it the right way. And that's like makes filling your growlers a lot easier but for us it was you know we're a smaller you know neighborhood beer bar and people are coming in and having to educate them every week that you can't just leave your growler out not rinsing it and basically my staff was working as growler washers half the time and it takes so much effort and and labor to to clean them out for people and do it but um when we switched to this it eliminated that problem we um anton hooked us up with a quick co2 purge machine so we basically take the cans we do quick co2 purge we rinse them out do a quick co2 purge into it and then have a direct fill on from the line which is you don't need the counter pressure it's not the same thing because you're basically capping on foam like you are with bottles uh, and like you're supposed to be with growlers but the the co2 like rests on top of the liquid and as it's heavier than air and it um as you fill it up, you just cap it right there, bring it over the machine with the, the that's right next to the bar, and press a button, and you have a beer that's sealed and good for upwards of two months as opposed to two days. And I think the, the benefit in that is it's also lighter. Uh, people don't want 64 ounces of beer most night. The people right. were always trying to come in with the 32-ounce growlers that were much harder to fill than the 64. And this was our draft system... Even when we were doing it right, we were losing so much beer trying to fill like 32-ounce growlers or uh, even 64-ounce growlers for specific styles. And um, I call myself the growler whisperer because I, was, <laughs> I got pretty good at it towards the end. But we're kind of seeing people now, they're, they're not even bothering. Like their growlers are kind of like uh, reusable shopping bags. You always forget them when you need them. Yeah. <laughs> so you end up with a drawer full of them at home or a closet full of them at home, and then you don't ever have them. You end up buying more when you don't need to buy more. So this is great. You just recycle it when you're done with it. and everything everyone wins who who do you find are are ordering growlers is it people that are there that are loving that beer so much that they want to take some home or is it people that are stopping in off the street because they want to bring beer back with them i'd say like one in five is someone who just comes in they're like yep i don't want to buy another five five dollar growler i'm they're they're coming in to buy retail beer we have had a few people get blown away by what was on draft 
and and turn around and buy crowlers to take home. But for the most part, it's someone coming in off the street. And then I'd say the second in every five customers that buy it, the second and third is someone who sees a crowler getting filled. Oh, right. So as soon yeah. as they see it happening, they want one. They're like, right, that's yeah. the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, yeah. Use so, that machine again. Yeah, yeah it looks, it's kind of funny because it looks steampunk and it kind of goes with like the look of our bar as it is. So I was happy when it came in. I was like, wow, I don't even have to like hide this or dress it up. It just looks like part of the bar. <laughs> that was worth doing. And uh, Brad, what about you? Do you have any crowler machines? Are you doing growler fills? We used to do growlers and finally stopped because... It's technically good for two days, but it's never as good as when it leaves the tap. No, you can take it straight home and drink it right away. It's not going to be the same. I actually was talked into getting the crowling machine by the local brewers. Like everyone said that this was the move and that most people were starting to disallow even filling up growlers because they're afraid of their beer tasting bad. So I, 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 I caught onto that early. Luckily, I, we were one of the earlier pickups of the machines. The price kind of changed quickly and I took it on and we got it up working for, uh, Super Bowl Sunday last year, and it was a huge get. We sold a ton that day. Everyone wanted to be able to bring. And they're, they're also great for like summertime. People want to bring something lightweight to the rooftop party or to the park or whatever, and they, they yeah. have these yeah. non glass. You know, but with I mean, we've talked about cans a lot on this show this year, but last year, but you know, with all the availability of so many great you know indie craft beer in cans, why even do a crawler? Why not just push people to cans? Well, because there's so much that's available just on draft, and that's I, I respect that a lot of these brewers aren't even bottling or canning uh, any of uh, some of their best beers because they just want to push it out. And this is a way for people to legitimately take home draft beer and experience it the way it was meant to be drank, without it being doctored by you know stealing in a bottle with air uh, air exposure and light. Um, this I, I think I, I think the crowler craze if you want to call it that or at least the crowler momentum is something that's going to be better for beer in the long run because people will actually i, I don't know people who like to travel with big jugs of glass or yeah. big glass jugs full of 64 ounces of beer but i know people who can stuff a suitcase with uh like stuff they travel uh, to try and actually bring back something that they want to share so and, and a lot of the places i've seen doing this like if you have the money and the incentive to or the impetus, rather, to invest in a crowler machine, like you're probably doing your draft system right. Yeah, great. And now, we've been talking about, you know, you guys, three great you know, beer establishments, what you guys are doing to, to make the beer better and, and, you know, provide a better experience for the customers. I don't, flipping it to pet peeves, what do you want your customers to know more of? Or, or if you could educate them, or if there was a magic wand, all your customers would know certain things. What, what would that be? Actually, it's funny because the uh, the the flux capacitor is it's a good conversation starter, if nothing else. Um, so, I mean, we always feel that like education is a large part of what we like doing at the bar because uh, it's you know we get people coming in from you know all walks of the craft beer spectrum. It's you know people that are you know just getting started and you know they're looking for a, you know quote unquote Belgian beer because that's what they think all craft beer is. Uh, or to, to you know to the hardcore beer nerd. So, so to be able to like start the conversation with the flux capacitor is a really is a really cool way to go. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for us, it, it you know talking about the draft system as a whole, it really starts downstairs. We have two separate keg rooms um, that that really start with the temperature control for the whole system. Um, so uh, you know when you come into the bar and you get a imperial stout. Uh, it's served at 50 degrees, so it's ready to drink right out of the right out of the tap. Um, and then that you know from from there it goes up. So um, you know everybody thinks that the flux capacitor 
uh, has temperature control. I don't know. Do you get that question a lot about temperature? All the time. Yeah, I, I don't know why that is, but they're, uh, in people's minds, they think the flux capacitor uh, allows you to like dial in a specific temperature, you know, <laughs> oh, for man. every line. Microwave. Which would be awesome. <laughs> but, <laughs> Microwave uh, beer. That, that would be really cool, but uh, yeah, that's not a part of it. Uh, for us, we do have temperature control, uh, but it comes in the form of two separate keg rooms. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, for us, that's, that's probably the one thing that I'd I actually didn't even know that until you just said it. I I automatically assumed that every line was temperature controlled. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. See, there I, you go. I'm the guy who doesn't have a flux capacitor in the room. So. <laughs> <laughs> How long is your draw at Torst? Uh, it's nothing like yours. Uh, our our keg room is directly below the tap line. So, yeah. I I wish I could do that for some of my beers that should be poured at 50, but with 400 feet. Mm. everything's coming out at the same temperature. Oh, yeah. You yeah, got that yeah. massive trunk line. Yeah. I'm the same way. I mean, I'm, mine's only eight feet. We could technically do it, but, but my basement, I'm in the East Village. This basement is barely anything, and it's the same. Like, it, it's, there are lim- certain constraints to doing business in the city, but yep. my pet peeve, I would say, is people who come in and are, first off, the the people who get angry when you try to serve them a quarter inch of head on a beer and like trying to educate people yeah. that that's like the proper service and yeah. not ripping them off yeah. when you realize that that's like, you know, Some 17 people ounce. think that that's not enough. That's too much head. No, they think that, well, when you, when you try to explain something like, well, you, you didn't fill my beer to the top. I was like, nope, that's a quarter inch ahead. That's what it's supposed to be. I'm not trying to tell anyone that they're wrong, but I'm just informing them that that's <laughs> a 17 are. ounce glass <laughs> and that they're getting a 16 ounce pour. That's that, that head is part of the beer. That's yeah. part of the experience. But a lot of people like won't take that for an answer, and I guess that's sort of outside of uh, someone coming in just ordering whatever's strongest on draft. Uh, that's <laughs> that's probably my biggest pet peeve, <laughs> or most sour. Yeah, that's or the most other sour. One. What's the most sour? <laughs> that's really the wrong question. But <laughs> and then basements, you know that that that's a challenge. When I mean, you a couple years ago, Justin and uh, photographer buddy. Uh, went around to some of the brewer- the bars in New York City with other half on their distribution run just to keep, you know, to see what they had to go through. And, and some people's basements are really ver- vertical ladders down, and you're, and you're carrying a keg at a time. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember being in a, a really great bar in, in uh, Amsterdam, and once they got into the beer store room, it was about three feet high. And you kind of had to crawl into it, and there was, you know, a case of each beer in there. Oh my god, um, that you gives know, me anxiety. So <laughs> I think our customers don't also realize, what, especially in the city, what we're up against. Um, you might have an opt. Like, I think probably having your your system right over the the walk in is an optimal situation. But in most of Manhattan, I don't know how you guys do it, Brad. I have no clue. <laughs> You're that's like it's, one of the oldest parts of the oldest city in the country. It's like, how do you? <laughs> You can't you can't retrofit basements like our building was built in the like mid eighteen hundreds and our basement we're lucky that I can stand up tall in my basement and that's a rarity in Manhattan but it still isn't like there are I beams and things that contend with you can't build walk ins around and it it's and it's, it makes draft system planning a bit more of a headache than if you're out in the, in the burbs or if you're not dealing with the the space constraints that you are in in a city like New York but. Well, it's, people don't understand the same complaints that they have about the size of their kitchen, the size of their bedroom. We have the same problem <laughs> in our bar. <laughs> My walk-in could always be like 100 square feet bigger. Always. <laughs> but we, we like that about New York, you know? It's lively. Sorry, if it's a kind of struggle, it's not good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to you guys. Um, let's just knock off. This is another beer. Brad, you just poured one. This tastes like two more beers quick. So uh, our buddy uh, is keeping track on Untap for us. So. Yeah, what do we got? What's the one we just poured, actually? I 
Brad poured that one. Never had it before, but it was pretty rad. Uh, Jester King, Beer de Mel. Saison, uh, sweetened with honey. Very good. I love Jester King. Big fan. That was solid. Yeah, they, uh, they, I love when they, I, I find that their beers become available every once in a while up here, but I, I, I haven't had them in a minute, and I'm happy that we got to try this. Yeah, it was amazing. Let's, let's pop another one. This is Jester King. Uh, next one up is, uh, uh, 2015 uh, version of uh, Ruse from um, the brewery. This is basically their version of a of a goose. Um, do you guys find so? One of the questions I was thinking of earlier was the idea of a nitro. Does does Taurus even have a nitro nitro line, or does Clinton Hall have a nitro line? I do. Yeah. So I, a lot of the people I find like one of the biggest points of education I have to have with people is people opting for the the nitro option in their system um, because that's something you kind of need to think of ahead of time. And, and not every brewery does that, but it's sort of culturally something I'm interested to see where it, that heads in the future. Do, not you, just, do you have a nitro line? Oh, of course, yeah. We, that was, uh, off the bat, we knew that. I didn't know back then that it was going to be for pouring more than just stouts and seeing all the, like, the nitro parallels and stuff like that now. Do you guys think that that's like going forward something that obviously that's like a piece of Guinness technology that was like propagated through the industry to pour Guinness. But it's funny to see how the craft movement has kind of taken that to uh, a place where they can work with styles that you would never like founders Rubeus, like getting like a raspberry beer like that poured on nitro or getting like these pale ales. It's, do you think that's something that's going to for, I mean, for me, I, when I have a nitro beer, um, that, that works really well, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's, it, the consistency is so beautiful. And when that works in conjunction with the beer itself, it really m- makes the beer special. Uh, but just like practically speaking from, from, you know, from what I do every, every week, I, I would find it difficult to make sure that the beer that I was pouring on that line was amazing every week. Uh, especially in this this era of constantly rotating lines, uh, you know, if you had one, if you if you were in a situation where you're going to set up one beer and have it be that amazing nitro beer, you know, a couple of months out of the year and then rotate it every few months, that would be a different story. But to have it rotate, you know, like all of our beers rotate all the time. So uh, I would I would I think I would have difficulty finding a beer that would be amazing on that nitro line every single week. And Brett? I've kept uh, Founders Nitro Oatmeal on my Nitro line for 90% of the time. A, because Andrew, the Founders rep, is amazing and takes really good care of us. He's a nice guy. <laughs> and it's just, it's an easy sell. Like, if somebody comes in, I want a Guinness. I don't have Guinness. I only like Guinness. You'll like this better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's definitely good for that. I, I, I did the same thing years ago where people asked for Guinness and we didn't have a, a Nitro line. We put one on, and we'd rotate through. I still would do it. I mean, now, like, Rockaway has a black stout that, that's nitro. We'd do some Founders. We used to do Young's Double Chocolate a lot. Mm, yeah, it, of a, a rotating beer. bar, yeah, it was probably the line that we didn't rotate as much. Maybe yeah. it was back and forth between a couple Right. We do choices. Like central, but central. It was, I will say one thing. With a regular system, whatever my system was, was kind of built over the years. The nitro line was always consistent. You know, we weren't trying other styles, but mm-hmm. the nitro stouts and porters that, that we poured... And through that system, maybe it's the gas. Um, we're the most consistent. It does. In, in it it pours very consistently for us as well. So mm. I, that's part of the reason why I ask because, 
it's a very different experience. Like in the U.S., as cask, I feel like cask culture is really failing to take off like it does in other countries. Yeah, nitro is kind of the the flat beer equivalent where yeah. you, you can <laughs> or industrial cask. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> We're trying to yeah. Hopefully, people catch on to that too. But um, I, that's part of the reason why I ask because I'm as I study for this advanced thing, I'm like reading about cask beer and just coming from a trip over there. Realizing that we are dealing with a very small subset of the way people drink beer around the world, and for sure, it's yeah, it's just interesting. I'll to tell see you, that would be a great show. You come back and just ask us yeah, questions we'll from <laughs> yeah. the advance. And uh, Mike, anything else you want to say before we close out? No, <laughs> I'm good. I'm, I'm, exci- <laughs> I'm excited for next month. Actually, uh, we have beer week coming up. Um, oh boy, so, uh, here we go. Gonna be, I, I'm mentally preparing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not sure I'm going to be ready no matter what, but. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we never are. There's no, <laughs> no, it's it's a tough but awesome week. Yeah, uh, yeah, we've got uh, so that opening weekend we have the answer coming in on Friday. Uh, we're gonna do some beers from them, and then on Sunday we're gonna be doing uh, Monkish, uh, and then uh, we're gonna put together a few more events uh, for the week. And always look forward to Brewer's Choice. Always uh, my favorite event. I have the, to make an announcement. That's actually moving to July. Um, I saw. What, the reason it's 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 a good reason. The last few years of the New York City Brewers Guild has really you know come together. There's over thirty, and it's a good announcement. We should make this for our listeners. There's over thirty breweries in, in New York City, and Beer Week's really focused on 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 the brewers. And the last couple of years, they've been running their own kind of a version of Brewers Choice called Opening Bash. And mm. um, we had a meeting. We really decided on it that um, Opening Bash is the event. So if you want to come to a, a, a bigger event with 60, over 60 brewers, some from, from out of the region and, and many of the New York City brewers, Opening Bash is, is, is the ticket to get at NewYorkCityBeerWeek.com. And then the Brewers Guild is going to support something we've been doing for years, the July Good Beer Month with the Good Beer Seal Awards. And we're going to move the New Very York City cool. Brewers Choice event to the summer, an outdoor location. And that's kind of been waiting in the wings. But I think that now the the New York City Brewers Guild is that strong yeah. that they really it's their week and that opening bash is is the event to check. And now out. we get it twice. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. That was always my <laughs> favorite did. event of of, uh, of that week anyway. So uh, to have it on its own will be cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah you it, know. Was a, it was a must must see TV. You couldn't miss it. Yeah. So. Well, we'll do it in July. But yeah. check it out, New York City Brewers Choice at some point. And uh, Brad, last wrap up from you. Uh, conveniently tomorrow night at Glen Hall Fight Eye, I've got some guys coming up from Cigar City, bringing some rarities. I'm still not even sure what they're bringing yet, but it's going to be a really good night. Awesome. I will say, you know, talk about other styles, wrapping it up. The other night I had a Cigar City lager at a local sports bar, and I was very happy. The Cigar City Maduro Brown that we had on Nitro, speaking of non-stouts on Nitro, oh my God, it's one of the best beers we've poured in the last like year. On that. It's so good. They're another brewery kind of like Founders. Like They're not breaking new ground, but everything they do is solid every time. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that again, Brad. Consistency. All right. I, I, I keep thinking, Mike talks, I think it's Brad's voice. This is an amazing group. We, we get, One more time, everybody go around the house, say your full name and establishment. Brad Kessler, Clinton Hall, Fideye. Mike Amadei, Torst. Zach Mack, Alphabet City Beer Co. Guys, thanks for coming out. We had Rich Higgins, Master Cicerone. It's always a treat. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer, David Tadishore. I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. woo <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.